beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, as we see Philip, Philip the Evangelist, as he is called, Philip, the one that is described also in Acts chapter 6, Philip, who is described as a man who is full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom, one that was brought forward to serve in the life of the church. He is a godly man. He's a God-fearing man. He is a man that knows the Word of God, loves the Word of God, desires to worship and serve the true and living God. Philip is an example that we have in Scripture. An example to us. A rebuke to many of us. And to see the life of Philip and how he lives and what he does. And and we'll see that in our text this morning. Some of the things that are unusual. Some of the things that are perplexing. Some of the things in Philip's life, what you see immediately, is so contrary to what we see in our day and age with regards to the church of Jesus Christ. Philip is one who understood the providence of God. I am uh, feared that today that we don't have a real good grasp of the providential working of God. We tend to say things in this nature that it just so happened. Or by chance. Or just out of the blue. You don't find any of that language with Philip. Because he understood who was ruling and reigning and governing in this world for his glory and for the good of the church. I don't think the church today has a real good grasp upon the providential hand of God. In that God is governing the things of this world. I think also that we're lopsided on many things because when we think about it, we want to say, well, it's either all of God or all of us. And yet, we find in the work of sanctification, it is God working in us and we're working out what He is working in. It's a two-working. It's synergistic. We're not talking about regeneration. We're not talking about justification. We're talking about the Christian life and how we are to live as the people of God and that we are commanded and we live by the revealed will of God. I don't live by the secret will of God. It hasn't been revealed. I live by the revealed will of God. So what God has revealed in His Word is how I live my life. That's the striving of the Christian. I have no idea when someone is injured, someone is hurt, someone is in a difficult condition, and I pray for that individual. I have no idea whether God is going to raise that individual up to health again. It hasn't been revealed to me. What has been revealed, James 5, that we pray for the sick. We find examples in the book of Acts. That we pray for those that are sick or in prison or in a certain condition. We pray for them. That's what the scriptures reveal. So we live by principle and by precept. What God has commanded, but also the principles that are revealed in scripture as well. So, understanding the providential hand of God. As God is orchestrating all things and he uses secondary means... Prayer is one of them. 
that He works through and uses the prayers of His people to bring healing to an individual so that He would be honored in the church and we would then be saying, we prayed for you and God answered that prayer. We were praying in accordance with His will. And God brought healing. So we, we've got to understand then God's providential hand. Philip understood that. That the Lord saves people. And how does He save people? He doesn't ordinarily save people apart from people. Do you understand that? There is exceptions. We don't live by the exceptions. We live by what God has revealed in His Word. Ordinarily, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Who brings the Word of God? People do. People. Now we often have a misunderstanding when the word preach, keruxo, keruts, or evangelizo, it doesn't always mean formal preaching in a worship service. Could mean heralding the word in an open air. It could mean evangelizing. It's simply translated preach in all these different places. But there are different words that are used in the Greek text uh, with regards to whether it's an evangelizing. That's what we find here with Philip. But this is our, our life, is to be about honoring God, serving Him in this way, and understanding His providential rule and governing and bringing the word to a nation that is lost and dead in its trespasses and sins. You have many family members and friends and co-workers who do not know Jesus in a saving way. They've heard the name of Jesus. They've heard God. They've heard Lord. But they don't know Him in a saving way. They are in a covenant relationship with Him, as all human beings are, but they are covenant breakers. They are under the wrath and curse of God. It's only by adoption that they are brought in as the people of God. They are redeemed, they are cleansed, they are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that, beloved, comes as we, His people, go everywhere bringing the gospel, the good news, to the nations. I don't know why. I I don't know why it is today that the church seems to be so closed-mouthed. Yes, it bothers me. I'm agitated by this. Do we not love human beings enough to tell them about their sin and salvation and damnation to come? Do we not love them in this manner that we bring the love of Christ to them? That the church seems to be thinking it's on vacation. I've said it before. We think the Christian life is a playground. The Scriptures reveal it as a battleground. We are to fight and we are to war and we are to run. Soldier, farmer, athlete, sweat and labor and work. And yet you wouldn't find that from a lot of people who come and they gather on Sunday and they disperse and they never open their mouth at all to tell anybody about Jesus. They engage with nobody about the thing. How is that love? Tell me. How does the love of Christ dwell in us 
if we can't tell a lost individual the way of salvation, the way of forgiveness. This text we have before us this morning is a rebuke to us. It is a rebuke to all of us. This is what we find. Look at verse 26. Let's get a running start. Here's Philip. And as I said, Philip was one of the seven that you find in Acts chapter 6. He is a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and he's full of wisdom. Now when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with faith. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with wisdom. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to have a cultivated mind of God. You begin more and more thinking God's thoughts after Him. Ephesians chapter 5 of being filled with the Holy Spirit and Colossians chapter 3 of letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly are parallel passages. And being filled with the Holy Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly produces the same results. So they simply have to be synonyms. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled up with the Word of God. It's to be controlled by the Word of God. That's what it means to be dominated by the Spirit. The Spirit always works in conjunction with His Word. This was Philip. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes from, uh, down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and notice the point that is made here. This is desert. Why does the Holy Spirit bring that out? Why does Luke write that? Because you would start thinking about this, and you would think that, you know, talking about Gaza, there were two different cities of Gaza. There was an old Gaza, there was a new Gaza. And he is told to go to the old road. Why would you go there? It doesn't seem like anybody would be traveling on that road. And now look at where it says, go toward the south. The, the, the Greek word there, kata, uh, mesembria, means at noonday, midday. It's the setting of the sun. And so what is told to Philip is go at midday down to Gaza from Jerusalem. This is desert. It's hot. Midday. You see what's going on here. None of this makes sense to the mind of man. Man would always rationalize. We would. Well, certainly it can't be the Lord. Because He wouldn't want me to go out there and sweat. He wouldn't want me to go out there when it's hot. Desert? Really, Lord? Certainly this is not the call of the Lord. That's what we would do. Now don't look at me like that because you know that's what we would do. We would dispute and argue and rationalize away responsibility because that's what we do do. Philip doesn't do that. It doesn't matter how irrational. Let me, let me ask you this. The Lord tells Joshua and his army to go out and march around the walls of Jericho. Does that make any sense to you? Do you think it made sense to Joshua or his men? Do you think there was any grumbling in the ranks? Boy, this is stupid stuff. What are we doing? 
we're a military and we're marching like a band? And the Lord said, on the seventh day you go out and you march seven times around Jericho and the walls will fall down and you play your instruments. Do you find any armies in Scripture doing such? Do you find them today? Can you imagine if Russia got ships and started just circling the United States? Boo, playing their horns. You'd think they're crazy. Their mind is gone. I'm sure Joshua said, if the Lord tells you to blow your horn, then you blow your horn. And you shut your mouth. You put your mouth on that horn and you blow. And the walls came down. See, God often works this way, doesn't he? He takes some of the most unusual predicaments, things that baffle the mind of man, and he brings it about for his honor and glory. And this is what you have, Philip going then. So he arose, doesn't dispute, and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Now, he is from Ethiopia, which used to be part of Africa. And so this man has come a long way. Notice that he is one who is a eunuch. He's been demasculated. He, he has been castrated. That's what it means to be a eunuch. And oftentimes that was the case when men had certain charge over harems of women. So to keep the sexual thing down, this is what would go on. They would be made eunuchs for this particular purpose. But he is a eunuch, but he has great authority. And as we'll find, he has great wealth as well. But he has a great authority. This is an esteemed man. You know, in this day, most people walked. Because they didn't have the finance, they didn't have money, they didn't have the ability to buy anything that would, you know, horses, mules. So most of the common people walked. If you were prosperous, you had a donkey. The generals, the military generals of the day, they rode on horses, steeds. If you were wealthy, you had a chariot. That's what you find here with the Ethiopian. He is a eunuch of great authority under Candace. Candace is not the woman's name. It's a title. It's kind of like Pharaoh. Um, she is the queen of the Ethiopians. And he is working for her. He had charge over all her treasury. He's a trusted man. He has great authority. He has great wealth. And he is trusted with the queen's, all of her treasury, her goods. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is 1,500 miles. Now, whatever is going on, and it's not explained here in his life, this man came a long way to hear about the God of the Jews. He came to worship. Now, that raises the question, what kind of worship could this be? What kind of worship could this eunuch do? Because, number one, the Deuteronomy 23 prohibits a eunuch from coming anywhere near the temple. So, 
if it was known, if he had advertised that he is a eunuch, he would not be allowed even in the court of the Gentiles. If he didn't announce it and he came into the court of the Gentiles, he would be regarded as one who was a a God-fearer. And the only place that he could come was in the court of the Gentiles. It was insulation. He was far removed. He could not be where the Jews were. But he came, and he came for that purpose. And worship here, Greek term proskuneo, means to bow down. He, He came to reverence the Lord. He was returning uh, from this worship and sitting in the chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, again, a custom in this day was to read audibly, to read out loud. So that's why when Philip came, he heard him reading. He's reading out loud. So the Spirit said to Philip, notice the personality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip, and he tells him, go near and overtake the chariot. Philip doesn't hesitate, beloved. Do you, do you see that? Boy, that is such a rebuke to us in our day and age. We read scripture, and it's clear, it's plain, it's manifest. And we fumble around with it. We hum and haw around about whether or not we ought to get busy in obeying the will of the Lord. God says it clear, and we think it's foggy. And we come up with all reasons why we ought not to do that. What a rebuke that this one man brings to the whole of the Christian church today. There's no disputing. We, beloved, we hear the voice of the Spirit as well as He speaks through His Word. Are you listening? Are our ears attentive to the word of the Spirit? Philip ran to him. He says, go near and overtake. He doesn't walk over there. He runs. He runs to the man. Now, this man who is wealthy, who has great authority, who has a guard over all the treasury of the queen, he's not traveling alone. You know that. He's got an entourage. He's got many other people that are with him as he travels down the road, the desert road, the hot midday road. Notice the boldness, right? As it's spoken of, he is a man full of faith and wisdom and of the Holy Spirit which makes him bold. Apollos was one of those men. Acts chapter 18. He was a bold individual, filled with the Spirit of God. He doesn't hesitate. He's not afraid because there's a lot of people there, and this man has great authority, and he runs up to the eunuch. He runs, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Where did he get the scroll? Maybe he went to Jerusalem and he went to worship. Whatever he did and however he obtained because it would have been a great sum of money to obtain the scrolls. But because he was wealthy, he purchased the scroll. And he purchased the scroll of Isaiah. How far do you think he read in Isaiah? Do you think maybe he started in Isaiah 1 and read about God redeeming Ethiopians? 
the Cushites. Think maybe he read that. Chapter 11. Other chapters speak of it as well. Gentiles being brought in. Do you think he would have read that? The text doesn't say. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I don't think he, of this man of this stature, would have gotten the scrolls and started, let me open up willy-nilly, like many Christians do today. He had a purpose. He unrolled the scrolls. And you know, when you unroll the scroll, it wouldn't be like you just, okay, there's Isaiah turning the book. It was knowing exactly where that would have been. He would have started from the beginning. And he would have been reading. And notice the providential hand of God bringing Philip and preparing that eunuch. At the same time, the Spirit of the Lord brings them together for a providential meeting. Which our world would say, wow, look at this as a chance meeting. And as Christians would say, oh, what a coincidence. This is neither, beloved. This is the hand of the Lord bringing Philip to bring the gospel to the eunuch who went to Jerusalem as a God-fear wanting to hear the word because obviously he was dissatisfied with the goings-on in Ethiopia. He has the scroll and this is what Philip says. Do you understand what you're reading? Okay, so for you that don't know how to broach a conversation, have you ever seen somebody reading the word of God? I have. Hey, what you're reading? Do you understand that? Conversation. No, it's difficult. I'm not understanding this. Let's talk about it. Let's dialogue. There you go. There's your segue. Somebody's reading. Let me give you a story. One time I was uh, at my daughter's wedding. Uh, the, the day before they were getting whatever they were doing. And I was, we were in Omaha. And uh, I, I was by myself. You know, all the women are off to do their thing. And so here I am walking downtown Omaha. And I said, what am I going to do? I'm going to go by the coffee shop. So I walked by the coffee shop. And I walked in. I'm looking for French press. You haven't had French press. You really haven't had coffee. But anyway, I said, you know... Can I get this? I was waiting for it. I see this group of people. So I walked over and I sat, not with them, but near them. Because I saw that they were dialoguing and they had some books and I couldn't see everything. So I went over there. I just minded my own business, kind of. And... Um, <laughs> And so it got to one point, somebody turned and said, would you like to join our book study? <laughs> I said, would I? Sure, you bet. And I joined in. And the dialogue started. And they were Christian people. And they were of the Arminian understanding. And we had a good time. And I left without being killed, right? But we were dialoguing. And that was saying certain things of you're not understanding that correctly because you cannot be consistent with that teaching if you're holding to this as truth over here. Read this. Yeah, you know what? You're right. And then the dialogue back and forth. And then finally I said, have a good day. And I walked out. Do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch did not. 
He said, how can I unless someone guides me, directs me, directs me in this, gives me understanding, communicates the truth to me. So he asked Philip, um, come up and sit with me. And so he did. And notice that the place of the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Now this, beloved, as you know, is coming from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant. This Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Luke, when he writes in Luke chapter 24, he said the law, the prophet, and the Psalms, Jesus said, were written about me. Jesus said in John 5, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. He wrote about me. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that speak of me. John chapter 1, we've found the one in whom Moses wrote about. And all the prophets, Jesus the Christ. The scriptures bear witness of him. Christ is the centerpiece of all of scripture. Jesus is saying essentially that if you come to the scriptures and you don't see him, you've missed it because they reveal him. They point to him. Our salvation is him. He is our redemption. He is our all in all. What a text. Let me ask you this question. Could you proclaim Christ to him from this text? Could you proclaim Christ to him from Leviticus 19? Could you proclaim Christ to him from Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5? Could you pick up the scriptures, beloved, and point out Christ to someone who doesn't know Jesus, to explain, to speak to them of the truth, and tell them of the gospel? Could you do it? Why? Why can't we do that today? Why do we shy away? Why do we not speak? Why do we not know the Scriptures well enough to be able to communicate the Gospel at any point of Scripture to those who don't know Christ? As Jesus said, all of Scripture bears witness of Him. He explained to them in all the Scriptures the things pertaining to Himself. Christ was the one. He was the only one that was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And clearly, this person, this man, this eunuch, being a Gentile, did not know Hebrew, did not know Aramaic, but he was one who would have been of the Greek understanding. And the text itself bears it out. This doesn't come from Hebrew. This comes from the Greek, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. That's what he was reading. He was reading the Septuagint form of it, the Greek translation. Christ was the one who was led as a sheep to the slaughter. We read right from the beginning that God said this is what would be happening. He was, his head would be uh, crushed. He would crush the head of the serpent, but his heel would be crushed. Christ would be crushed. The grapes of the Old Testament being crushed. They bear witness of Christ. All the types, the shadows, the ceremonies, the symbols, the sacrifices, all of them bear witness to Christ. The lamb that was offered for the sacrifice. God taking a lamb and covering clothing Adam and Eve. I am certain it was a lamb. Lamb skins covered Adam and Eve. Testifying of the Christ to come to cleanse us and cover us in the sight of God. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. 
Notice that Christ went willingly. That Christ does not rebel against this. He does not fight against this. He is in the garden and He does pray, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. So He didn't go kicking and He didn't go screaming. He didn't go as a martyr. He didn't go as a victim. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This I have received from my Father. Christ willingly went to the cross. And there we go. He is led as a sheep to the slaughter. To the slaughter, beloved. Don't miss that word. Do you know what a slaughter looks like? you know how bloody a slaughter is? He was bloody. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was battered. This is how Christ went for our salvation. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, He doesn't scream out. He's not the victim. He's not crying. He's not crying injustice. He comes to set the captives free. He comes to lay down His life as an atonement for His people. He doesn't open His mouth. He doesn't cry. He doesn't whine. He doesn't blaspheme. Just the opposite. This portion of being slaughtered and yet loving the Father with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength to the bitter dregs. You know, we as human beings, as sinful people, we cry out in pain and agony when we go through situations. I've heard people that ordinarily wouldn't use profanity, use all kinds of profanity when they're under pain. Christ doesn't use any profanity. He doesn't blaspheme His Father in any way. He doesn't cry out. It's humiliation. In His humiliation, He was humiliated for us. We put blinds and curtains on all of our windows. Now, for the most part, you're not running around with all your blinds, especially if you live in town. Because there is a shame to the nakedness. They were naked and they were ashamed. And they ran and they hid themselves. And there is that still today to a certain degree. It's within the relationship of marriage where they're naked and they're unashamed. You don't want everybody, unless there's something seriously wrong with you, you don't want people seeing your nakedness. <laughs> Remember back in the 70s, they didn't call them strollers, they called them streakers. It was running. You would run down the hallway. Remember, that was a fad for that. Nobody was standing there with their hands behind their head. They were running. <clears throat> Christ was crucified naked. Would you enjoy being hung on a cross with your arms stretched out, naked? To be ridiculed, to be mocked. It's humiliation. There's humiliation because he committed no sin. 
He was being accused and he was being treated as if he was a criminal, a murderer, a lawbreaker. And yet there was no violence in his mouth. There's humiliation. His justice was taken away. We were unjust. We treated him unjustly. Man hated him. Because man hates God, and he said he was the son of God, he was put to death. But he committed no sin. He was the only one who wouldn't sin against his neighbor. He's the only one that didn't use the phrase, hey, you know what? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. He would return the property. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Philip preached Christ to him and told him and revealed to him from the Old Testament that he is the lamb that is promised right from Genesis chapter 3. The mother promise of all promise. The beginning of the covenant. And as it opens up and expands further and further as you go through scripture, he is the center of it all. For all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. They all pertain to Him. His life was given for His people. He was slaughtered on our account that we might then go free. He was condemned that we would not be condemned. He was treated as a criminal so that we would be treated as royalty. He was cast out so that we would be brought in. Beloved, how does that move you? You come to the Lord's table and you take the bread and you take the wine and you do it in remembrance of the Christ who was was redeeming you. He was redeeming me. He was redeeming His people from all of their sin and misery. The, 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 The horror, the dread that He went through. The inexpressible anguish, pains and tears of the cross. For us in our place condemned He stood. That we might be the righteousness of God in Him. How lightly we take that. How quickly that passes over our minds. We don't reflect upon it. It doesn't move us to tears. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for God-haters. He came to wash and cleanse us from all of our sins. That's what He came for. Not for righteous people. There are none. It's what Philip brings to the Ethiopian eunuch. It's the providence of God and how the Holy Spirit orchestrated all of this and illumined this man's mind to the truth. And then when the gospel was proclaimed to him, kindled an upright faith that he would believe the promise of the gospel. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, Does he speak of the prophet himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture and preached Jesus to him. Beloved, our calling, and this is what it means, the preach there, euangelizo, it means evangelize. All of us have this responsibility. This is Philip fulfilling an aspect to the uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Amazingly, at this time, and when this is all going on, Samaria is having basically a revival. Thousands of people are being saved at this time, and the Lord sends Philip to the desert to evangelize a eunuch. 
And the Holy Spirit worked faith in his heart. How far would you go to bring the gospel? Beginning of this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Our responsibility as the people of God is to evangelize from all of scripture. Now, beloved, if that means that you need to ask God for forgiveness and you need to get your mind into the word of God and cultivate that word, then that's what you need to do. It certainly isn't happening as it ought in our day and age. People are woefully ignorant, even of the books of the Bible. We ought to know the scriptures so well that at any point that the scriptures are opened, we ought to be able to preach Jesus to an individual. This is what Philip does. The Lord blessed his ministry. The Lord blessed. There was blessing enough for the man to be able to bring the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch, following the commands of the Lord. There is joy in obedience, beloved. There is joy. There is a euphoria, as it were, in evangelizing for the cause of Christ, to come to our lost neighbors and tell them about Jesus. There is joy and exhilaration in that. Because that is our calling. We find comfort, we find joy, we find blessing in the things that we are called and gifted to do. So things that we're not, that seem to be drudgery, that we hate, that we don't like to get at it. What we have been gifted and called to, we get at it. And God blesses that. And there is just a joy in the heart that we were serving the Lord. Whether the man is saved or not, we told them about Jesus. The only way that one could be saved, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Tell your neighbors, tell your co-workers, tell your friends, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? Jesus said, come to me. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And don't you just love this? And you will find rest for your soul. Do we not need soul rest? It's found only in Jesus. Come and be saved and find rest and then go out as the salt does no good left in the shaker. Get out and be the salt and the light for the glory of Christ. Amen. Shall we pray?